Hi, come join me on my journey as I discuss a variety of things that all have something in common. The place I call home, Japan. Sit back and enjoy the show. I'm your host Josh and this is Josh on Japan. Alright, so welcome back to another episode and on tonight's episode we have a guest with us. Um, I'll let the guest introduce themselves, so would you go ahead and introduce yourself please? Uh, yep, thank you very much for having me today. My name's John and I come from the United Kingdom and I've been living in Japan for about six, bit over six years now. I work as a programmer. Okay, so... First question we have on tonight's show, why and how did you come to Japan? That's an interesting story. Um, it kind of dates back to when I was finishing my time at university. Um, this is back in 2010-2011 kind of time. I graduated in 2011. Um, I was trying to work out kind of what to do once I graduated. And my friend just suggested, hey, what about the JET program? which is the Japanese exchange and teaching program. Um, so I kind of looked into that and started kind of watching other people who lived in Japan on YouTube because I didn't really know anything about Japan at that point. But in the end, I applied for the JET program and was rejected. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of why I came to Japan. I just kind of watched more people on YouTube and got more interested in Japan and then I came here on holiday and decided I liked it and I'd like to spend more time here. I didn't quite expect to spend over six years here but here we are. Um, as to how I came to Japan, uh, I basically applied for a lot of jobs and eventually got a job with an English teaching, sort of English conversation school. And that's how I came over. Okay, so earlier you mentioned that you're a computer programmer and you've just now mentioned that your first job when you arrived was an English teacher. So how was that job? Was it enjoyable? Um, it's a difficult question. <laughs> um, it was interesting, I'll, I'll say that. I'm not really such a people person uh i kind of prefer my own company more and in addition to that um how could i put this i'd say that my technical understanding of english isn't really high enough to be good at teaching english so as time went on i felt more that I was doing a disservice to the students that I had by being a teacher there because of my sort of, I mean, I can write English, I can, I'm, I'm good at writing English, but my technical knowledge of it isn't so good. So if someone says sort of, oh, why do we say this rather than this? Or why, when would you use this word instead of this word and why? It's kind of met with blank expressions from me. Uh, that's pretty much how my experience teaching English was. My first uh, <laughs> English teaching gig, I got a gig teaching, what was it, three to five-year-olds, and that, that was great. That level was just, it was a breeze to teach. The school provided ready-done lesson plans. I tweaked them a little bit 
to introduce a few little extra games to try to teach them um, sentence structuring. But it was a lot of singing, dancing, and pretty much horseplay. So I wouldn't exactly say I was an English teacher, more of a <laughs> preschool teacher. Yeah. Um, uh. But I had grammar classes that was a lot of the older kids, and we had this... There was two parents in particular. One of them was uh, very... I think, I think what I'm looking for is tenacious. It was always, how's my daughter doing? Why is she at this level? Why hasn't she done this? She's done a ton of practice here. And I always had to come up with something to, you know, stop her losing her cool. Yeah, I I had a student who was a bit like that, to be honest. It, it wasn't a child, it was an adult. But I just vividly remember one day um, talking to the counselling staff afterwards and they told me that the student felt unhappy because I hadn't corrected their English enough. But the reason I hadn't corrected this student's English is actually because I knew, I already knew that he knew the correct grammar, but that he'd just made a mistake. So I didn't really feel that needed correcting because he I knew he knew it was wrong. And obviously he did because then he was complaining that I wasn't correcting him about it. So I think there is an aspect of that, yeah. Yeah, see, that's... Um, I ended up doing... After I got my second teaching job, which was more close to home, um, they made me do a language course. It was a Cambridge... It was like basically a Cambridge oh. University um, training course. Is that the CELTA? No, it wasn't the CELTA one. Hang on. Um, actually, hang on. Let me pull up my resume. I've got it written down there. Uh, where are we? Let's see if I can find where I keep my resume. Um, but basically they had me to doing this, um, language course. And one of the things that I actually learned while doing the language course was a, um, that you shouldn't always correct students every time. Yeah. You got to kind of find that sweet spot in between because if you correct them every single time, some students doing that, it pushes them and they will learn like crazy. But for the majority of students, essentially what happens is it kills their yep. motivation and drive. Yeah. So it's always difficult. You got to gauge what students. Um, the course that they they had me do was the TKT course by Cambridge University. I did the modules two and three, which was um, focused at teaching kids. So it was a bit of an interesting course. I ended up having to go to Tokyo for that. Oh, all expenses paid. Lovely. <laughs> so that's always good. Yeah, I, I, I. But just going back to what you were saying a moment ago, I. I kind of agree with you there. That's why I didn't want to always correct students if I felt they already knew the grammar. Because if it's just a simple slip-up, if I correct them, then they probably already feel bad about making the mistake in the first place, and I don't want them to make, feel worse about it. Um, so unless they were constantly making the same mistake, I would try not to necessarily correct them about it and just observe next time to see if they were if they were getting better in that area or not. 
right. Yeah. Um, next little sub question. So when it comes to English teaching jobs, you got any advice for our listeners that are looking at entering the same sort of job industry? Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind really is I do sometimes see people who think that if they're not a native speaker of English, sort of from America or the UK or Australia or something, they think that it's not actually possible for them to get a teaching job in Japan. And I know from having friends who actually aren't native speakers of English, but who have teaching jobs in Japan, that that's just not true. So anybody who's kind of interested in getting that kind of job and isn't a native speaker of English, as long as you have a really high level of English, then you should be fine, really. Indeed. I agree with you on that. I had, at my first teaching job, there was a lady from France. So, luckily, she didn't have a thick French accent. It was very smooth. Um, I think she was from, I think it's Brittany. Oh, yeah. Um, so, her accent was, she always had the accents over that were quite neutral. Um, then my second job, we had a the teacher. This is the teacher that I actually took over from when I got the job. She was from the Philippines. Yep. So something I found is a lot of the high-end university jobs or the really high-end private English schools, take, for example, schools like ECC, Berlitz, those classification levels of schools, a lot of them will be quite difficult to get a job if you're not a native speaker. Yeah, quite possibly. Especially if you don't have a university degree. They're very strict. Um, but a lot of the smaller Ekaiwas, you won't have too much trouble. Because to be honest, I mean, the majority of foreigners who come to Japan who want to teach English, they all have university degrees. I don't. Never went to university. Never will. Yeah, um, I think maybe it's because... Um, Unless you're sort of married to a Japanese national on a working holiday visa, then uh, it's an immigration requirement, isn't it? So I suppose that they just don't want to get involved. I guess that's true. I find I've found it's in one. It is for a fact an immigration requirement, and two, a lot of the, it's weird though because a lot of these schools they don't actually require the degree, but yeah. they want it because it gives their teachers this level of. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Makes their teachers look better than they may actually be. I, I I get it, but at the end of the day, I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Computer Games Programming. I don't <laughs> think me having a degree in that is going to improve me as an English teacher. No, no, <laughs> as, as I said, as I've said to many people before, like I've, I've had conversations with people when I came over here on holiday before moving here and they were like, oh, I want to come here and teach English, but I want, I need to go to university. What should I study? Should I study TESOL or teaching English? And it's like, yeah, if you really want to do a career in English teaching, then go study that. But to be honest, you could study anything. You could study, you could get a degree in the study of animal dung and you could still come here and teach English. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, I will say, though, that I think having something like a TEFL or a TESOL might actually help you kind of get a leg up above the competition. But it does. other than that, it doesn't really, not having that doesn't present a barrier to you actually finding a job here. 
so I wouldn't worry too much. Indeed. Um, so anything that they should watch out for? Um, there's to be honest, there seems to be quite a lot of kind of seedy companies who are flirt. Oh, sorry, not flirting. <laughs> who are uh, skirting around the kind of edges of the law and sometimes treat their employees quite badly. Um, there are actually some companies that invite people over on tourist visas, not telling them that they're not legally allowed to teach in the country on a tourist visa, and then have this kind of... I think they phrase it as like an experience or kind of an exchange or something, and they actually have people teaching illegally for a period of time. So I'd be careful of that, at just sort of... Uh, I guess if you check out companies on sites like Glassdoor and look at their reviews and stuff, ask around on Facebook, you can kind of get a feel what a given company is like. It might be a bit difficult with the smaller companies that's sort of just in one region or just in one city, but for the bigger ones, it's probably a good option to find out more information, really. Yeah. Um, all right. So are you, do you have your own house or are you renting? I'm currently renting an apartment. Right, so how is the process of renting? Because anybody who's done research on renting in Japan will have more than likely come across the um, the Reddit posts explaining that it's uh, as a foreigner, you can't rent, it's racism, it's discrimination. There's dozens out there. You could spend hours reading through them. Um, When I first came here, I was actually... I'm going to say fortunate, but that's not entirely how I feel about it. Um, there's this company in Japan called Leo Palace. And basically across the country, there are these Leo Palace apartment buildings. They're basically carbon copies of each other. I think they're all made in a factory or something and then effectively rolled out to wherever they need them. And yeah, the company I started working for initially set me up in a 20 meter squared apartment. Oh. <laughs> sounds tiny yeah I came from like a nice two bedroomed house in the UK moved to Japan and I've just got this tiny 20 meter squared apartment it wasn't so bad because um, it kind of had a loft bed with a like, little ladder up to it there's a bookcase oh, at the end God. of that and then there's kind of a storage cupboard underneath but the actual room size that I had to relax and spend my time in wasn't very big really so no 20 meters squared that sounds about the size of my living room <laughs> it's a third of the, my current apartment size and sometimes i feel like this place is a little bit small <laughs> um but basically uh i quit my english teaching job at the end of the one year contract i had and with that uh came my need to move out of that apartment because that was all through the company, and then I had to find my own apartment after that. Um, oh, sorry. So, uh, what was uh, you got any issues that you ran into? Um, after you moved out of that place. Yeah. Uh, so the I kind of uh looked around a little bit, and there's a big company in Japan, a rental company called Apaman Shop. And they basically took me and showed me around some different places and stuff. So the first place I looked at that I really liked, uh, I kind of decided, oh, yeah, I want to take it. That was actually a house. It was a two-bedroomed house. 
bit of steel within my budget because it's kind of a bit further away from everything. Um, and then I think it's maybe a week after I uh, contacted them and said, oh, yeah, I'll take it. Uh, they came back and they said that the... Uh... What happened exactly? Oh, yeah, that I needed to get this uh, guarantor. So I contacted the people at my new job and I said, hey, I need to get a guarantor for this. Can you help me out? And um, they were going to help me out with that. But then when I went to actually try and rent the place, it was with a company called Daiwa House. And to rent an apartment with Daiwa House, you need to have a Daiwa House credit card. Mm. And that opens up a whole other... whole other can of worms for foreigners living in Japan. Um, Indeed it does. Between our names not easily matching with our documentation because one might be in uh, katakana, one will be in English characters. Your name might be too long for the fields on the website and then you'll just be instantly rejected because you can't enter your name (laughs) properly. It's, It's difficult, basically. Indeed. On that note, a little bit of odd advice for our uh, listeners tonight. If you are very serious about permanently living and staying in Japan and you've got a middle name and you're not attached to it, Cut get, it. That, get that thing removed. Nuke it. Because, oh, that's not the right example, word. See, I've got a middle name and either my middle name gets left out on documents or it gets attached. So, okay, so my name's Joshua Adam. That's well, my name's Joshua, my middle name's Adam, so I get called Joshua Adam. At work on um, the scanning system at work, it's Joshua Adam. So. <laughs> well, my first... Well, my, my problem mainly is that I don't just have one middle name. My parents very kindly decided to name me after both of my grandparents, both of my grandfathers, should I say. My uh, mother's father was called Charles, my uh father's father was called Howard so those are my middle names (laughs) so that means that my entire name is something like 26 characters long from my first name to the end of my last name and lots of websites will have a maximum of 10 characters for the first name 10 characters for the last name and I'm like okay I've still got six characters what do I do (laughs) oh god so I don't know why they can't get with the times it's like it's not like you have limited memory space. Yeah, data's cheap now. <laughs> like, what's the problem, guys? Um, yeah, so that I kind of ran into an issue with that. And then the company were like, oh, okay, we'll just rent it for you then. I was like, okay, that sounds fine. It's not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be kind of more independent in that respect. But I was like, if that, that, if that works out, I'm happy with that. And that was a no. Nope, sorry. So and then I looked at another place and I was basically told that's no foreigners, sorry. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a case of me talking to the owner or anything and then them deciding, hey, like we don't want to rent to this guy. It was just a blanket, he's a foreigner, nope, kind of situation. Uh, luckily, after that, I found another place which I lived in for, I think, about three years. Yeah, about three years. And that was generally all right. So it's not... I guess it's just a little bit more difficult as a foreigner, but you can find kind of all right places. Like the place I'm living in now, 
very happy with and the landlord's quite a nice guy so from that respect uh sorry from that perspective i'm happy i guess indeed see i've heard i've seen people mention online that if you're lucky enough to be married to a japanese person then finding an apartment is easy but from my experience that's not entirely true this is just my personal experience it's not absolute but my wife and i she's japanese we were looking for an apartment at first the first place we tried to apply it they just said no after my wife mentioned that her husband's a foreigner at first it was yeah no worries no worries how many people living there two people okay what's your husband's name gave my name no see i can understand i can understand sometimes it's a case that they're worried about communication issues and the sort of if there's a problem will they be able to communicate or if there's sort of some other thing that needs doing will they be able to communicate or will the tenant be able to communicate issues about the apartment to the uh, the management company or the landlord but when one of the parties is actually japanese um it makes no sense yeah i don't know if it's just kind of fear of like not knowing how foreigners might behave in the apartment or what their reasons are really but it's a bit of a shame hmm. um all right so your previous job versus your current job how was the transition process um not too bad to be honest um how i got my current job was kind of interesting though uh <laughs> so i decided that english teaching wasn't for me uh this was probably about four months before the end of my contract with the english teaching school so i handed in my they wanted three months notice so i handed in my three month notice and then i decided sort of i'm either going to find a programming job in japan or i'm going to go home to the uk so i just started looking around online for different programming jobs and i found one that was in hamamatsu unfortunately it was with technologies that i've never used and don't really understand but i applied anyway because i mean at that stage why not really <laughs> and as my now manager tells it they decided just around the same time that i applied that they needed somebody with the exact skills and experience that i already had from my previous job in the uk i mean how lucky is that <laughs> indeed i mean i'm not religious but if i was i'd probably say <laughs> you know god is good that's what people say i think it is yeah so when i actually started the job i kind of i was obviously i wasn't familiar with their code because every company does it a little bit differently but i kind of knew the technologies we were working with already so it wasn't kind of like starting from scratch or starting blind i kind of had an idea of what was going on so it was quite easy to transition into i think okay um all right so more a little bit out there questions so what are two things you like about japan huh mm. I, I kind of like anything 
I kind of like weird things. I mean, everyone's like, oh, I love Mount Fuji or some other thing, or I love Japanese culture. But for me, it's just customer service, really. Um, I mean, take delivery services, for example. In the UK, I had well, <laughs> delivery companies in the UK are notoriously bad. But one example that sticks out most in my head was um, when I ordered a package for next day delivery. And I ordered it to my office where I worked, which happened to be, I think, about five minutes walk from the delivery depot. So I thought, oh, I'll receive it, right? The office closed at 6 p.m. and they tried to deliver it at 8.55. Their last possible delivery time was 9 o'clock, so I imagine they just tried to deliver it, sorry, tried to deliver it on their way back to the depot. So that that's kind of how deliveries are in the UK it's it's not fantastic but contrasting that with Japan I've had instances where I've ordered something I said I, I want this to arrive between sort of two o'clock and four o'clock and I've asked I've accidentally had to sort of go out for something and I've missed the package and then before I can even go online to schedule a new delivery the delivery drivers actually come back for a second attempt at delivering it and for me that's just fantastic customer service compared to the uk i just i love it <laughs> it is i mean i had we i bought a bike helmet on um, a japanese selling website it's kind of like ebay or yahoo auction kind of thing medicati uh, I, th I think they may have that in the US as well. I think so, yeah. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I ordered the bike helmet, expecting it to be two or three days. It turned up the next day. Basically, it turns out that the helmet came from someone in the city that I'm currently living in. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The problem, the problem is on, when you buy yourself a Medicare, you can't see who the seller is. They don't give you their information. Medicare keeps it all private, which is actually quite nice for people when you try to sell stuff. Um, so what's another thing that you like about Japan? That's, that's another difficult one. Um, I think I just like that it's generally safe here and you don't have to kind of feel worried walking around when it's dark late at night and things like that. Sort of in the UK, I'd always feel kind of wary. Even, Near my house, for example, there was a shortcut that I could use walking from the high street back to my house. And it there wasn't any uh, street lights there or anything, so it was kind of dark. And it always felt kind of sketchy walking through there because it wasn't necessarily the safest area. But I've never felt worried or bad about walking around late at night in Japan. I don't really... I don't fear something like somebody mugging me or something here. It just doesn't seem that likely to happen. I mean, obviously, crime does happen here. The police wouldn't exist if it didn't, but I think it's less common, at least. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, for example, I have no problem with my wife going out late at night here. Then I couldn't care. Couldn't care unless I've got no worry about it. But when we were living in Australia... I mean, she, she'd go out late at night. I'd always drive down, pick her up from work. Cause she finished quite late, 10.30, almost 11 o'clock. Oh, yeah. Cause no way I was letting her catch the bus, especially no. around that area. Um. Okay, so two things that you dislike about Japan. 
paper. Paper? Please enlighten <laughs> us. Um, I just feel that a lot of stuff here is still very paper-based. Sort of, there's a lot of things you can do in the UK online. So, for example, back in, I think this must have been 2014, I renewed my driving license, which basically involves um, getting a new photo card, so I have to give them a new photo. I'd already updated my passport photo online about a month prior, so they were like, hey, we have this passport photo of you stored. Do you want to just use that on your driving license? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. That makes life easier. So from that point of view, I feel Japan has a long way to, to go in that respect just because a lot of stuff is done by paper here. Like you actually have to go to, say, the city office to do some paperwork if you want to change your address or something. You have to go to the um, to the driving license centre if you want to... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My brain's just gone completely blank. Update I'm terribly anything. sorry. Yeah, if you want to update anything, you actually have to go somewhere and do it on paper and then fill in some forms and stuff. And yeah, it's a nightmare here. It is, yeah. It's one thing that just drives me mad. Um, another thing that I dislike. Um, I don't know, really. It's That's a... <sighs> I have a tendency to complain about a lot, to be honest, but if you put me on the spot and ask me to define something that I dislike about a country, that kind of makes it a little bit harder for me. I guess the other thing that I kind of dislike is that there's not much effort put into designing things like websites or apps and stuff. I mean, some, some companies are good with it and kind of ahead of the times for Japan, but websites just some of them just feel like they belong sort of 10 years ago or something. They're just, they haven't moved with the times and it can kind of lead to a bad user experience when you actually have to go onto them and do something. So I guess that's the other thing I dislike. It's just, I guess to sum up, what do I dislike about Japan? Things that it's just things that cause inconvenience to me really. Yeah. So, um, after listening, I'm going to try to sum it up a bit. So basically, <laughs> you hate, you dislike things about Japan, that basically Japan is is very technologically advanced, yet it's so backwards in another concept. Take, for example, they still use fax machines. Yeah. I mean, sure, there's probably a reason why they use fax machines. I guess it's probably the Hanko system or something like that. But I mean, nowadays, you can easily email a document via pdf yeah uh, just to okay. clarify what the hanko system is um basically you will everyone has a physical stamp uh, so you dip your stamp in some ink and then you stamp it on the page and it leaves a mark in your stamps form and then in sort of big companies uh, a subordinate will stamp theirs and then pass it to their manager who'll stamp it and then they'll pass it to their manager and stamp it and maybe it'll depending on how important it is, it might get up to the CEO and they'll stamp it. And then that means that everybody in the company has seen it and is happy with it, basically. <laughs> so that actually caused a problem with the pandemic as well, didn't it, I think? Like people are still having to go to work. So, I mean, for anyone who has any 
whose country is based on original British. Uh, what's the word I'm thinking? Any country that's descended from British um, colonization. Think of it like the old wax seals that used yeah. to be used. It's about the closest thing we've ever had. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, out of all the places that you've been in Japan, either on holiday or while living here, what was your favorite and why was it special? Oh, that's difficult to decide. I've been to quite a lot of places. Um, it's got to be a toss-up between Nagasaki and Himeji. Himeji, I loved the castle there. Um, Nagasaki, I liked it because... This is kind of very unique to when I went, I think, but I really liked the weather there. It, everything was kind of bright and sunny and just felt very very pleasant and happy while I was there, to be honest. So that's why I liked that. And then the reason I like Himeji Castle in Himeji is because a lot of castles, if you go to like Osaka Castle or something, then that's recently been rebuilt. It's all made of concrete. It even has a lift inside it so that people can get up to the top more easily. Um, so it's not it's not really close to being a traditional Japanese castle. It just looks like one. But then if you go to Himeji, I think it was last built, uh, last rebuilt. And I don't know if it's 14 something or 16 something, but I mean, it's been there for hundreds of years, effectively unchanged. So you actually walk around on the wooden floors in there and stuff. And I just, it feels closer to history, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Is there anywhere in Japan that you absolutely want to visit? I'd like to go to, um, is it Ginzan Onsen? Like the little onsen town that's got like the big onsen in like a street square and then you've got all these other little things around. I just like to go there just because it looks quite picturesque and interesting, I think. And I like onsen, of course. For me, there's two places that I'd absolutely love to visit. There is, um, I can't actually remember the name of it, but it's a volcanic island. It's part of one of the um, National Heritage Sites. Oh. Asso? Um, Asso? Let me check. I have it saved somewhere, but I can't remember where I've saved it. I saved so much stuff. Owl Island. No. Oh. Um, give us a second. Japan. Volcano Island. I bet. National uh, Heritage Site. I bet Asso isn't even an island, and my geography is just utterly Island rubbish. Unicico's world. Here we go. Yeah, that's not an island. <laughs> uh, which is not Fujisan, but it's not an island. Ah, I believe this is it. I'm pretty sure it's Yakushima. Uh, yes, it's Yakushima. I'm pretty sure Yakushima has a volcano on it. Now I need but to find out where that is. It's in. So Yakushima is a subtropical island off the southern coast uh, of Kyushu and part of the Kagoshima prefecture. Ooh. 
I want to go uh, to Kagoshima to watch a space launch. Because so my uh, apologies, there is no volcano there. But it is Yakushima. But it does neighbor Tanegashima, which is where they launch the uh, rockets to space from. So if anyone wants mm. to go, it could be interesting. Definitely. Um, okay. Now. Um, well, we've still got a bit more to talk about, but have you got any questions for me before we move on? Uh, I mean, I guess... Uh, why were you interested in Japan? Why did you want to move to Japan? I'm sure it's not just because of your wife. Um, it's tricky. I feel my backstory of why I wanted to come to Japan is so... I don't think cliche is the right word. You so, mean you loved anime and wanted to emulate the no, anime characters? No. <laughs> yes, because I'm a diehard anime <laughs> fan. And I've wanted to come on the Dreams in Hopes Viva visa ever since I was a little boy. <laughs> no. Um, I was, what was I? I was 10? 9 or 10? And in um, primary school, we had to do a... Um, it was a book thing we did in class. We had this big art book, and we had to go through the alphabet. And so when we got around to doing the letter S, we had to pick a subject write a little bit about it, stick some pictures in, scrapbooking kind of thing. And S, obviously, I picked Samurai uh, because uh, I'd seen something on the TV about it. And from then, I started getting fascinated. What what a Samurai, where do they come from? And then when I was 13, I ended up going to college. This was just before I moved to Australia. But I... um took Japanese class and got really interested in the language. Um, but unfortunately, I never continued after <laughs> that. So eventually, after I moved to Australia, I wanted to study Japanese more, but I couldn't. Yeah, <coughs> excuse me. Basically because the school I went to, they only taught French. And I'm like, I have no interest in French. <laughs> it's not going to get me to Japan. I'm not going to. But um, I watched anime, Japanese movies, started researching more. And then after I graduated high school in 2011, I organized a trip with two other friends. We were going to go to Japan. One of them bailed. And then the other one's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. He bails. So I was like, <laughs> I've planned this entire trip. So I was just like, you know what? Stuff this. I went to my travel local travel agency. And luckily the um, travel agent lady there, she loved Japan. She'd been there. She's like, I'm going to get you the cheapest tickets I can find. And so this was just after the tsunami had hit. So the tickets were like rock bottom because Japan was scrapping, not scrapping, scraping the bottom of the bucket to get tourists in. Yeah. Obviously. I got a return flight from Australia to Japan for $600. And it wasn't budget airlines. It was... I flew from Brisbane to Hong Kong with Cathay Pacific. Yep. And then from there, I flew with Japan Airlines to Japan. And coming back, I flew with Qantas. So, I mean... Not bad. $600 yeah. for return flight. So, <laughs> what, what, what would that be? 600 I think I paid more than that when I flew from the UK with Air China, which... It's an airline I never want to fly with again. Um, 
you know how when you go on a budget flight and all of the seats are really close together yes. it's basically that for like well 11 11 hours to beijing and then like four hours God to japan no. <laughs> um hell no um so 600 australian dollars comes to at the current exchange rate um can i Around twenty eleven, that would have been zero point six six. So that would have been around the time. So it's a maths lesson. Yeah, let's turn into a bit of a maths lesson. Um, six hundred times. That would have been around four hundred pounds at the time. Wow, is that cheap? That's cheap, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and it's not budget airlines. Yeah. I mean, that, I was going to say, that's what you might pay just hopping across uh, into Europe from the UK. Well, sorry, that's that's double what you might pay, should I say. But that, I mean, that's that's cheap. Yeah. And the, and the thing that shocked me about the trip was the layover in Hong Kong was great. I yep. said, get on this flight with Japan Airlines. They bring me my food. It wasn't anything strange. I look down at my plate and what's right in front of me? I'm going to give you a chance. Can you take a guess? Sushi. No. A metal knife and fork. Huh. <laughs> so I was just sitting there going, I could, I could literally take this and like stab everyone on the plane. This is like so unsafe. It's like 2012. This is not pre 9-11. Yes. How is this a thing? I'm just like, what the absolute hell is this airline thinking? Well, I mean, didn't uh, Japan only separate uh, domestic return, sorry, international returns and domestic travelers or something after some guy switched from one flight, picked up his luggage, and then boarded a domestic flight with a knife? Something like that. I can't quite remember, but. Not sure. I haven't heard of that. You'll have to uh, you email afterwards. me that later. But that does make a bit of sense because, I mean, the flight flew into Haneda and mm. Haneda's domestic only. Is it? So huh? Was it at the time? It, at the time, it was always classified as domestic with uh. the occasional international flight flying in. Um, but so after that, I literally went back. I... At the time, I was working at McDonald's. I went back and I had a friend that I was working with at McDonald's. He's like, oh, how was your trip, man? Tell me all about it. So I told him and I, I turned to him and I said, oh, I'm going back. He said, when are you going back? I said, I'm going back. I said, I said, I'm going back in seven weeks. He said, are you serious? What? He said, can I come? I'm like, go. Yep, yep, you can come. You can go. We both like, sold, I sold my PC. We both like begged the manager to give us extra hours at work. We were both working flat out overnights just in seven weeks. I think I scraped up about wow. four and a half, five grand, <laughs> sold my PC for a thousand two hundred and then we both went back. And a little little bit about that. So we travelled all around Japan and we were due to take the train all the way up to Hokkaido because I have never been to Hokkaido. My friend, on the morning, we were supposed to get up early because we were taking all the trains with the JR Rail Pass. So it was yeah. quite a lot of transfers. I'm like, packed, ready, go to the door, knock, knock. You ready, dude? 
He's like, I've lost my rail pass. <gasps> I'm like, are you serious? Give me your bag. I rip his bag apart. Goes through it. Nah. Ooh. We go downstairs, check the tables. Because we were staying in a hostel, check the common area, everything. I'm like, what are we going to do, dude? He's like, I don't know. If you want to go, just go. I'm like, nah, nah. We're here on a trip together. Where do you want to go? And he's like, uh, I don't know. We ended up going back to Kyushu. He took a flight down because he managed to get a cheap flight. Oh, so you went by train and then he flew and then you met each other. I stayed there for a couple of days and then he ended up flying back and he stayed in the airport for three days. Oh. Yeah. Roughed it. Wow. And then um, after that, I came back again about a year later to do i was planning to do a working holiday um but that i ended up not doing the working holiday and i stayed for three months on a tourist visa doing as it was classified volunteer work at a hostel the hostel that i'd actually previously stayed at basically i would do like two to three hours of cleaning every day five days a week and in return they gave me a free bed and whatnot huh Fair enough. So, it was a, it's a sweet, sweet gig. And then uh, after that, I met my wife. Probably about a year after, yeah, two years after that, I ended up getting married. And then I moved to Japan in 2017 and got my job teaching kids English. I, I, I mean, this is actually my first time hearing this story, isn't it? I've not actually. I don't know why I haven't, but I've not actually asked you about that before. Um, wow. I mean, <laughs> compared to my interest in Japan, that I feel like I had no interest in Japan and just moved here, and it, found, it feels like you had lots of interest in Japan and eventually moved here. Um, Pretty much decided since I was a kid that I wanted to move here. Wow. Oh, okay. it was actually after, after my first trip, I said, I said, F this, I want to live here. I mean, from that point of view, that's kind of what I did, I guess. Because, I mean, I was from that point in uh, 2010 when I started watching sort of J-vloggers on YouTube. I I kind of really wanted to at least visit Japan. And then when I did visit Japan finally in 2014, that was an interesting story. (laughs) Um, Basically, uh, my friend and I came together and I, I thought I don't really think I'll be able to sleep on the plane and as it turns out I'm not a person that can sleep on planes um, so I'm like what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay up all night before so that I'm just so dog tired that I have to sleep because otherwise I just can't Right? that was a terrible idea anybody thinking of doing that that is not a good idea just putting it out there um, we got to Heathrow Airport in London to fly to Japan and I'm like why is one of my eyes black and white now <laughs> oh. I, I was like what the hell? Uh, I think I'll be alright and then I, so we got on the plane anyway and flew to Japan and I didn't really sleep on the plane I think I in an 11 ish hour journey to Beijing I probably slept maybe 40 minutes in like three stretches and then I, it was only actually once we boarded the plane to Japan that I managed to fall asleep. Um, we 
landed in Japan, we went straight to Kyoto uh, on the bullet train because we got our JR passes and spent a few days there. Then went back to Tokyo, wandered around Tokyo for another few days and then flew back to the UK. But afterwards, I was like, right, I'm going to find a job in Japan. And so I started searching online and the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, any other questions? Not really, no. Okay. So let's move on and talk about something. Um, little, little bit of information for the listeners. Our guest tonight, John, and I, we actually do know each other outside of the podcast. Um, that, that's why this next little section is not going to sound so weird without that information. Um, so the public transport system in Hamamatsu, what do you think? I'll just put it this way. After what, four and a half, five years of living here without a car, I was very, very, very happy to get a car. <laughs> See, after I moved here, my wife and I, we got a car pretty much straight away. So I never had to use the public transport. I just rode a bicycle. Actually, I did. I had, for a year, I was getting a train into Shizuoka City which was about an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, I was pretty much just riding a bike five minutes down the road from my apartment to the station, getting the train from the station, catching the train in and walking 10 minutes. Yeah. So, JR trains, super efficient, super great. But you want to get a bus in Hamamatsu? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what they... If they just... I understand it's because of the roads... They're not double lane roads. They don't have bus lanes or anything like that, like they do in Brisbane, where I'm originally from. But they just never turn up on time. I've had a bus that was supposed to be at the bu at the bus stop near my apartment, for example. It was supposed to be there at eleven minutes past three. It didn't turn up until three forty-seven. Yeah, um, I basically realised quite quickly that I can't actually rely on a bus to arrive at the timetable time and I basically just had to rely on a bus arriving at some point by getting to the bus stop a little bit earlier um, I was quite fortunate my first year when I was working at the English school because I lived about about a 20 minute walk from the office and it was right in the city centre so it was close to the station and everything else so I didn't generally have a need for buses around that time and it's gonna sound really stupid, but for the first year, I was felt I felt really not anxious. What's the word? I can't think. I felt worried about the concept of actually using the bus because I didn't really understand how they worked in Japan. It's alright. I the first time I got on a bus, I had no bloody clue what I was doing. I had to sit there. I kept sitting there going. I so pretty, I pretty much got on the bus and went wait. How do buses here work? Shit. Yeah. yeah. What? So I sat there for the twenty-minute bus ride, watching people get off. Oh, we come in this door at the back, but we're getting off at the front. Wait, wait, they're dropping money. Oh, it's like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you get on a bus, probably not in London, but outside of London in the UK, then usually you'll tell the bus driver where you're going. You'll pay him some money, and then. 
you'll just go and sit down on the bus and then when you get to where you're going you get off same as australia yeah at least in uh, the city that i'm from yeah uh compare it to where my wife's from in hong kong and most of the buses you uh tap onto with your octopus card which is an electronic money card and that charges you a certain amount and that just covers the entire route of that bus that you're getting onto basically so um the way it works here in hamamatsu is you get onto the middle of the bus a ticket comes out you grab the ticket and then you sit down when it comes to the stop where you want to get off you basically drop your coins and the ticket into a money slot and it reads the ticket and counts your coins for you and then you get off um i do like having the ic card for it so i can just tap to get on tap to get off it's it's super handy yeah sometimes i forgot though and then i, I would have to then as i get off i'd tap it and nothing would happen I'd, and then i'd say ah oh, uh sumimasen and, and then t- tell the bus driver where i actually got onto the bus at and then it just charged me the right amount see that's that's the thing that's the one other thing that i absolutely hate about the bus system and train system in hamamatsu is yeah <laughs> our bus and train system is not jr yeah. or sub private bus company it's run by entetsu yeah now that's fine no issues there the the train line here the entetsu train line is brilliant the yeah trains always yeah. turn up on time um, but their IC card system, they have to go and use their own, <laughs> what's the word, private card system. Yeah. Instead, they can't go, hey, let's take Suica and just give it a fancy name. Yeah. And S- accept Suica cards. Because I want to be able to use the Suica card that I've got on my phone because I've got a Japanese model phone. So yeah, I, I get to use NFC F. AKA and you get to use Suica mobile. So I can yeah. use Suica mobile payments. I just want to be able to get on a damn bus or a damn train and go phone, 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 phone. Not get out there. I see God. So, but in saying all of that, that's one of the things that it irritates me so much when you get people posting online going, oh, Japan's public transport is amazing. It's like, Tokyo's public transport is amazing yeah. because it's a giant city. If it wasn't amazing, <laughs> the city would not be able to function. Uh, Tokyo is Tokyo, not the whole of Japan. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to clarify a couple of things that you talked about before because um, I imagine nobody knows what Entetsu is. Uh, basically, Hamamatsu is part of the Enshu area and uh, Tetsu in Japanese is like railway or railroad or something. So Entetsu is basically the Enshu area railroad. I can't speak English properly now. Um, is the Entetsu railroad company effectively? Um, they have like a department store. They have supermarkets. They run a taxi company. They run the buses. They have a train line that goes north south in the city. Um, Basically, if there's a pie, they've got their fingers in it. Um, See, I didn't even actually know that. I uh, just figured that was the name of the company. See? I, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, 
I might be a little bit wrong here, but I'm just kind of extrapolating from the end part and the tetsu that that's probably why it's called that. So don't hold me to that. Um, but yeah, what you were saying about the IC card, though, it's bizarre, really. Um, so different regions of Japan have different IC cards. So, for example, Tokyo has Suica and Pasmo, and they're basically interchangeable. You can you put money on them, you tap them to get through a barrier or to get onto a bus or something, tap them to get back out or to get off the bus, and it just charges them automatically. And then in our area, they're called it's called Toika, but it's the exact same thing, and you can use a card from Tokyo here. That's what I do because that's where I got mine originally. If you go off to, uh, say, Nagoya or you go off to Osaka, then you use their one, and they're just interchangeable, right? But then here in Ham... Uh, even in the neighbouring city, um, Toyohashi, you can use your regular Suica IC card on the trains, on the sorry, on the trains, on the trams, or in uh, Sapporo up in Hokkaido, you can use it on the trams. And then in Hamamatsu, we've just got this proprietary card from um, Entetsu, and you can only charge it either on the buses or at train stations or at the bus station. And it's just a little bit frustrating, to be honest. Indeed. See, now, a little bit of information on that. This is just from what I've been told by people. But Hamamatsu loves to be very different. I mean, if you look at a lot of Hamamatsu's traditions, the rest of Japan celebrates the same sort of traditions around the same time. Hamamatsu has a lot of their own little traditions especially uh, in the area that i'm living in hamakita we have a lot of our own like sub festivals that oh. are only celebrated in specifically my part of the city so hamamatsu is very big on their independence from what i can tell interesting i that i didn't actually know that um okay another thing we'll talk about one more thing tonight um Oh, sorry, can I just button one more? Uh, you did ask me at the beginning a little bit, but I wanted to expand on no, it. No, you may not. Well, I'm going to. I'm kidding, go for it. <laughs> um, but the thing, I uh, the thing I dislike about the buses here is, for example, my old apartment was five kilometres north from the train station, and um, there's a chain of malls in Japan called Eon Mall. And that was also kind of five, about five kilometers north from the train station, which is also the bus station. So you'd think, well, you're both five kilometers north from the train station. That makes it really easy to get to Eon, right? Except to do that, I would have to get on a bus that goes all the way down to the train station. And then I'd have to get on a different bus that goes all the way up to Eon. So that would take about 50 minutes or something on, on the buses. But if you go by bicycle, it takes maybe 20 minutes. If you go by car, it takes like 15 minutes. So I think there's reasonable north-south or east-west links, but kind of in a spoke around the main train station. It's not really... It's not like you can just go from one place to another place easily here. And I appreciate that's probably because there isn't so much demand for it because a lot of people do drive but if you don't drive it just makes life 
pretty difficult to be honest like one time my back was really bad but to get to the clinic that I was going to about my back I had to take two different buses and then walk for about 15 minutes all while my back was bad Ooh. not ideal very much not ideal indeed sorry um, I, for interrupting you before no that's completely fine thank you for enlightening us um Okay, last little bit on the show tonight. Okay, do you speak Japanese at all? That's a difficult question. <laughs> um, I can talk more than I can understand. So, I mean, I've been here for over six years now and I should stop being lazy and I should study more and get better, but... I'm not that great at Japanese, to be honest, and I feel incredibly ashamed to say that after all this time. And as time goes on, I feel more ashamed about it. Um, I can kind of do a lot of everyday things, but then sometimes, like somebody will use a different word for the same thing, or they'll phrase something differently to what I expect or what I'm used to, and. I'm just kind of there with like the progress bar kind of loading above my head as I'm trying to work out what they've said. So I don't speak nearly as much Japanese as I'd like. I don't read nearly as much Japanese as I'd like, to be honest. And as I said, I do feel kind of ashamed of that, to be honest. That's all right. My, my, my Japanese reading when it comes to kanji is atrocious. I mean, I know that your kanji level is far above mine. Chotto. A little bit. <laughs> Not a lot. Oh, come on. It, it's it's higher than mine. I mean, what I mean. So for listeners that don't actually know, since I haven't spoken about it yet, um, after I quit my um, last English teaching job, simply put, we, there was a bit of a there was some difference between my boss and I. Um, so I left. I actually went to a Japanese language school and studied for about four months. And that really seriously helped my Japanese. So I got to the point where I now actually work for a company and use Japanese every day. But in saying that, my Japanese is still atrocious. So my biggest uh, downside would be the fact that my grammar is it's actually gotten rusty. I haven't been using it as much as I should. But my biggest thing I'm lacking in is my um, vocabulary. Yeah, me too. So I'm very... I don't know, would you, how fluid would you say my Japanese is? Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I'd say that your Japanese is probably more fluid than mine because I kind of get into a panicked mindset when I I have to speak Japanese. So It's weird, really, because if I'm having like my Japanese lesson, then I can talk quite happily with my Japanese teacher. But like when you're troubling a customer's uh, like customer services person or something, you feel more stressed and more urgent than otherwise you might do. Yeah, because you're like, well, they've got to deal with other people and there's all of this and lots of other things, basically. Then they say stuff to, to me that I just don't understand and I'm like, oh my God, this is even worse. Like, I, I, This isn't necessarily what I'm actually thinking, but it's just kind of how it's being interpreted in my brain and so it can be a little bit stressful at times and then I end up sort of fumbling my words and then sometimes a kind soul thinks they understand what I'm saying so they'll then try and finish the sentence for me but that's not what I'm saying which makes it even worse 
it's uh it's interesting at times nah i mean i've I've had a few situations where they don't understand what i'm trying to say and i got really frustrated and ended up just walking away now i mean recently the biggest uh, frustration i had was i went to create which is a local drugstore here so drugstores in japan i don't know about the uk or america but compared to australian drugstores they sell things like food and everyday stuff as well as medicine but yeah that's like boots or something in the uk it's pretty much the same thing see so i went to the register and i wanted to pay with uh, what they have is mobile payment. It's very much the same as WeChat, uh, not WeChat, WePay. I think it's called WePay, what people in China use. Yeah. Basically, pay via QR code or barcode. And here, um, I wanted to use Rakuten Pay. Now, <laughs> in English, I would say Rakuten Pay. That is literally how would you you would read it. Yeah. But in Japanese, I'm going to say Rakuten Pay. So I had a mask on which might have factored into it a little bit but here i am asking the lady at the counter and she's like hmm? Hmm? very confused she's like oh pay pay i'm like yeah <laughs> she's like are <laughs> so i literally ended up getting in all fairness to her and she ended up getting it so it was a bit frustrating (laughs) in all fairness to her everyone's kind of jumped on the bandwagon with like qr code payment things in the past couple of years though haven't they like there didn't really used to be that many of them so maybe there's like line pay and another one or something but there's a bajillion out there yeah it's exploded i mean you've got what off the top of my head, I can remember you've got Rakuten Pay, you've got PayPay, you've Line got Pay, Dibai, you've got Lime Pay, <laughs> um, you've got MediPay. Got Family Mart's got their own one as well. Family Pay. Seven Eleven tried to launch their own one, but then <laughs> there was a massive scandal. Um, basically, you could change someone's password if you only knew their email address and their date of birth, I think, or something like that, and you didn't actually need any like confirmation from them in any way so people stole their money <laughs> um but it's basically exploded everyone wants a bit of the action really um Indeed. i think the other thing with rakuten pay as well is it gets confused with rakuten point That's and true. it's but they're both in the same apps like one time i tried to pay and they thought i just wanted the points they're like trying to scan it and it's not working <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh no 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 rakuten pay and they're like Ah, <laughs> but, but in all fairness to her, I wasn't angry at her or anything. Just I was frustrated. I'm like, yeah, seriously, my Japanese can't. Your pronunciation hasn't gone crap again, has it? Because one of the words. Okay, here's a question for you: What's a Japanese word that's actually an English word that's been katakanaized? Katakana, kata, turned it, converted into katakana. Transliterated. Transliterated. There we go. Transliterated. That you transliterated? Uh write or print a letter or word using the closest corresponding letters of a different alphabet or script. Yep, that's the word. Okay, transliterated. There we go. 
another new thing. So what's a, a word that's been transliterated that you still struggle with because it's a native word for you? <laughs> oh, oh, that's a tough one. There's a like, there's a few I think sometimes that confuse people. I think anything with lots of uh, either L sounds or R sounds, but gets a bit difficult because um, in Japanese you end up with situations like I'm trying to I'm trying to think of an example here, but uh, can you think of an example that ends with like an L Y or something that comes across a bit weird once it's changed into Japanese? Not, no, I can't. Sorry. Okay, T- uh, I think that's the word in. Oh yeah. So um there's a adjective in Japanese powerfuru. Powerful. But in Japanese it becomes powerfuru. And yeah. See, that's, that's not too bad, to be honest. No, that that one's quite tame, but like where it's ends up with like multiple like Ra or ru sounds in Japanese. I always kind of struggle to get that across to people. Um, it's a bit of a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll I'll pitch a scenario to you. You go to the register at a supermarket and you want to pay by credit card. Now, how are you going to tell them that you're paying by credit card? I'm guessing that I can't just smash my credit card into their face. No, you cannot. Uh, because that mm, opens a whole can of worms Naruhodo <laughs> um, Probably uh, Maybe Credito kato de <laughs> See, see, that, see you, you obviously don't struggle with the word As much as I do For me, I always go to say credit card And I go Credito kato See, now that I'm a bit relaxed I can say it yep. But I'm always Credito oh, kato And it's kind of just poof, I mash up of it and they go, hey. So now I tend to just say, ah, credito, credito. I do notice that you're still saying it with a D sound, though. The Japanese Sorry. transliteration is kurejito kado. That might be my issue. Tashka, so I, 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 I didn't actually know that. Wow. <laughs> I've been transliterating my word incorrectly. Uh, that. I mean, it's. I also have that problem sometimes. Like, I think it's been transliterated in one way, but then when I eventually find out, I'm like, "That's why no one's been understanding me. I've just been saying this wrong all of this time." Kudejito kado, kudejito, kudejito. That's easier. That is so much easier to say. Kudejito kado. Arigatou gozaimasu, sensei. But yeah, no, that that is that is one of the more frustrating things. And I, oh, that was it, that was it. Uh, so this wasn't actually an English word. This was a French word. Um, do you know what the French word framboise? Uh, I can't pronounce it. Framboise means framboise. Yeah, framboise. Isn't that a fruit? Yeah, it's raspberry. So this was gonna say, I love fram framboise. Um, I love framboys. It's delicious. Yeah, I like raspberry. So I'm, I go to uh, Mr. Donut one day with my wife. And I'm like, oh, 
they have a raspberry thing here. I'll have that. And then I'm like, Furanbuazu, Donut, or whatever it was, or Nagashimas. And then they're like, Huh? Nanny? <laughs> I'm like, uh, And I try one more time and they're like, No. And I'm like, Raspberry, no. <laughs> and they're like, uh, And I point and they're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> it's so embarrassing though because, like, I know the word. But even in Japanese, reading the katakana that's written in front of me, I still messed up the pronunciation. See, I, I have, I've had a few situations like that where I've tried to convey something at a supermarket and they struggle to understand me and I feel really flustered. Yeah. Because there's people waiting behind me and I'm like, they're that's it. Me. Yeah. No, the foreigner can't speak Japanese. So I tend to go, oh. And use really super casual Japanese and you kind of get a bit of a look from them going, huh, he can speak Japanese. I know that that's the fit. That is actually one thing I've noticed. Like if you fumble what you're trying to say, the immediate assumption is that you don't speak any Japanese, not that you can't, you just can't vocalize what you're trying to say, Indeed. which is a little bit frustrating sometimes, especially if they speak. It, it's not so common in Hamamatsu, but if they then switch to English, which is not so easy for them either, because then they're struggling and you're struggling to understand them a little bit, and everyone's doing their best, but it's not working out very well. So, see, I've I've had a situation once where I had the register person attempting to use English, and my brain wouldn't convert. <laughs> I I'd switched into Japanese mode, so there I am, trying to speak Japanese. <laughs> They're trying to speak English. It was a big mess. It's difficult to switch when your brain's in Japanese or in English, I think. like uh, I've had situations where I've been trying to say something in Japanese and I've needed to sort of say something to my wife in English. And then I'll try and say something to her in Japanese because my brain's still in that. And then I've had another situation where I was talking to a friend in English, someone held a door open for me, a Japanese person, so I'm like trying to say thank you to them in Japanese. And you couldn't. But I said it in English. <laughs> I mean, I imagine they given that everybody learns some English here, they probably understood what thank you meant, but I was I trying know. to say it in the correct language, you know. That's all right, everyone here says thank you. Thank you. Ah, uh, yes, thirty-nine. Um I I'll I was just going to say, I looked up raspberry on the dictionary just to get the correct Japanese pronunciation before. Interesting thing. There is a ka uh, there is a kanji name for it. It's ki ichigo. That's tree and strawberry. Ki ichigo. Oh, so it's a tree ki strawberry. Ki ichigo. But the normal hatsuon would be razuberi. Yes. That, razuberi. That that is something we should probably mention in your podcast. Um, when you're learning Japanese, don't always go with the... If you find a kanji form of a word and there's also a uh, transliterated katakana form of a word, there's a good chance that the katakana form is more common. As crazy as that sounds. <laughs> now, I have a pop quiz for you. Oh, God. If you're willing. 
I guess. And and this is a pop quiz. This is something that I saw on TV. I never knew the answer. I do know. But it's something that a lot of Japanese people these days do not know the answer to. Now, what is the Japanese word for camera? The proper word for camera? Oh. Probably something that translates as like camera obscura or something, I'm guessing, but I don't know. Just give it a go. If I say to you, how do you say camera in Japanese? Well, the first thing you're going to think. Well, I mean, obviously, it's a trick question. It's not going to be camera. <laughs> it's not. But apparently, that's how everyone these days says it. Oh. I'm guessing you're going for this other one I just looked up. Uh, shashinki. That's it. There's also the apparently... The way to say it is shashinki. And apparently, from the... Um, thing i saw on tv so many japanese people don't know the answer was it tv or youtube i can i don't watch tv to be honest so youtube i think uh-huh. there's apparently also another term uh tatsuzoki tatsuzoki i haven't heard uh-huh. that oh so it looks like it looks like shashinki is literally like picture f- machine yeah like picture machine it's like okay that i mean that yeah <laughs> that makes sense well, pretty pretty much in japanese whenever you attach the word key with the appropriate kanji obviously to the end of a word it basically makes it machine so i'm like so, a tabeki like a eating machine theoretically i think that would translate <laughs> if you put the right if you put the kanji <laughs> and showed someone the kanji they would understand the meaning of this. <laughs> eat machine eating eat machine because I mean, you've got soji, which is clean. Sojiki yeah. means vacuum. Ah, oh, wait. Let me just check. Sentaki. Uh, Sentaku is washing. Sentaki. Yeah, same kanji. Sentaki, washing machine. Oh, yeah. learnt something new. Very interesting. I also note though that the dictionary says there's another form of shashinki. Uh, where the last kanji is the kanji for vessel or container, which Ooh. is also interesting. It's like a picture container. Weird. Okay, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about while we're still on it? Well, we're not actually on air, but. <laughs> <laughs> this is John and Josh coming to you live from studio somewhere. No. Um... I mean, if you wanted me to talk about another topic, just name it and I can, but I've got not got anything myself to talk about. Um, I think... Uh, okay. What's a Japanese food that you will never eat? Natto. Well, uh, wait, hang on. Oh, oh, oh. That's the answer I was looking for. No, 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 no. Hold on, though. If I've already tried it, is that okay for me to say that I never eat it? Can that be counted that I'll never eat it again? Or that's fine because I've tried natto. It's it stinks and it, the taste is. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's actually the texture. Yeah. No, me too. I. It's like sticking slime in your mouth, foul-smelling slime. So, add a bit of context. I'm going to clarify this a little bit for anybody that's actually Japanese. And is listening. I'm not sure. 
Uh, my audience stats is a little all over the place. <laughs> Apparently, I do have some listeners in Japan. Um, but now, in Western culture, for example, we don't eat raw egg. Now, raw egg mm-hmm. and natto have the same texture to an extent. Now, in uh, see for John, how 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 is it for you in England? Would you guys eat raw egg? Um, that's kind of. I mean, like, uh, if you're making cookies or something, you might have a bit of the cookie stuff that does have raw egg in it, but See, it's not like Japan straight where up, straight up raw egg. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Japan where you get some rice, you chuck on your raw egg, and then you mix it in, and then you eat it. Uh, we don't really do that. And no. to be honest, raw eggs are kind of associated with salmonella and salmonella exactly. poisoning in the UK. So that that texture to most most Westerners is a little uh, yeah. It's one of the reasons why I don't like oysters. I'm actually kind of okay with a bit of like uh, some raw egg on like skiyaki or something. That's kind of tasty. You're turning Japanese. Do you really think so? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was that was beautiful. I was very tempted. I was very tempted to. I was sitting there thinking, hey, should I cue the music? Copyright strike, so best not. Yeah, probably not. YouTube is a bit harsh to people, I think. It's harsh. It's savage. Savage wasteland. But, no, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to have metal again. I'm a really fussy eater, though, so it's especially difficult for me to really eat a lot of things anyway, like. I don't like a lot of fish. Um, but I've had uh, takoyaki, which is sort of battered octopus in a sort of ball shape. Oh, um, I love that stuff. I don't really like batter that much. The octopus kind of tasted okay. I'm not in the scheme of things it tasted okay. I don't know about separately. I've never really had it since, but I just don't really like batter. Um, so I'm just a really fussy eater, to be honest. I think Japanese people probably think I'm really weird because of like how much I dislike uh and it's kind of a pain sometimes living in japan being a fussy eater because you go to the convenience store and there's all of these sort of delicious looking meals but for me i'm like no i don't like that i don't like that i don't like that i i've i mean i've i've i had a colleague at my old i think it's like my first job out of university in the uk and he'd only eat stuff like mcdonald's and when I say he'd only eat stuff like McDonald's, you know, like how the Big Mac has maybe sort of lettuce and onions on it or something. He would remove those. He would just eat the buns and the meat. That is how little he liked. So anytime my mum complains now, like, oh, you're a fussy eater or anything, I'm like, look at this guy. He doesn't like any of these things. <laughs> uh, uh, it's like I found someone worse than me just accept me as I am but I think it's it's been a nice experience moving to Japan and finding other foods to eat though because although I'm kind of a fussy eater I've widened the variety of things that I do actually like beyond what I would eat in the UK just by being exposed to more foods and unless I know that something has a lot of things in it that I don't like then I'm not entirely adverse to adverse 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 english is hard um 
I'm not entirely adverse to trying it, basically. So, so what would your favorite food in Japan be? <sighs> favorite food in Japan? Sitting a bit far from my mic, then. Yeah, it's, it sounds like you're on like one of those old like little telephones, you know, the kind of one where you lift up the receiver and put it to your ear and then <laughs> speak into the mouthpiece. <laughs> Sorry about that technical difficulty. <laughs> um, favorite food. Ooh, um, Japanese food, obviously. I really like uh, katsu curry, um, <laughs> or something like gyudon. Though, depending on how well cooked the onions are, the textures can be a little bit iffy for me. But generally, it's all right. Um, between the two, curry though. Have you ever considered taking udon and katsu curry? Taking the rice out and sticking the two together. I mean, I've had curry udon, which isn't what you're dis- curry udon. Yeah, that's obviously not what you're dis- Yeah, it's obviously not what you're describing. But I mean, that that sounds like it could work. It's just that udon okay. usually is in a bowl of liquid, so it, it might doesn't the katsu fall the- apart? No, you boil the noodles. Oh, and then you just move them out. Drain them uh, in a bowl. Tip curry sauce on top, and then put the tonkatsu on top. What about some cheese? Sorry, that would work. No, that would work. I, I whenever I go to like a uh, katsu sat or something like that, I always get like the curry with a uh, curry katsu with cheese or something on it because I just like it. Oh, that reminds me. What's your fa- uh, what's your favorite ramen chain in Japan? Because like everybody on the internet seems to rave about Ichiran, but for me, I just feel the flavor there's a bit mediocre, really. Um, give me a sec. I do like. I think it's called Ikoku. Oh, I don't know um, that one. Um, I think it's Ikoku. That's one near. Uh, hang on, I'm just actually trying to pull up. Where's the station? 7-Eleven Convenience. My favorite one that I went to is in Akihabara. But I'm actually just trying to find it. I think we've got some street view going on here. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, is this it? In the meantime, anyway, um, I think that I usually when I go to a ramen restaurant, I'll order something like uh, tonkotsu ramen, and I'd love oh. a bit of chashu with it. One thing that actually surprised me when I went to Sapporo was when you go to a ramen restaurant there, you get really thick cuts of chashu. I was just in heaven. You found that yet? Yodobashi camera. <laughs> yeah, there's Yodobashi camera. I think it's this. That's the Gundam Cafe. I believe it was this one. Oh, no. 
There it is. I think it's this one. It looks no, it looks right. Irorian. Can you send me a link so I can look at it as well, please? <laughs> looks, looks just, I, it's been so long since I've been there. Yeah. I, this could be the wrong place. But. Um, here is the link. Igori and Kiraku. That doesn't look too bad, actually. I'd definitely probably try eating there. Um. Oh, yeah, that's probably something that maybe people don't already know about Japan. Um, when you go to somewhere like a ramen restaurant, quite often you'll have a machine where you place your order. So you'll basically go up to the machine, choose what you want, pay, it will spit out some tickets, and then you'll give them to your server. And then the uh, server will basically bring you your food afterwards. But instead of actually communicating what you want to someone, you just print off tickets. Oh, you still there? We had a bit of an audio issue there. Ah, I'm still alive. Kare rice, ooh. Katsudon, ooh. Mini kare don setto, ooh. Sorry, I'm just looking at this menu getting really. Ooh, duck soba. Sounds tasty. I'm pretty sure that was the restaurant. I am still trying to double check. But now I went, I got taken there by a friend back in 2012. And every time I went back there, I kept getting sick. If, if, I t if we were there right now, I could literally walk you through Akihabara Station and take you to the exact restaurant. I can't <laughs> remember how to get there. I just can't seem to find it properly. But, come on, come on uh, then, let's go. <sighs> I ain't going to Tokyo to get coronavirus, thank you. <laughs> I thought the state of emergency had been lifted. Yes, stuff that. <laughs> anyway, we're going to end the show there tonight. Uh, it's nice uh, having you on the show tonight. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for having me. <laughs>